Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 5 of the Glassness Podcast. Heyo! I am here as your usual shithead at large. My name is Dennis Grinko. I'm joined by my co-host... Aaron McDowell, uh, the your friendly neighborhood angry Irish guy from the North End and West Kildonan. And for the first time, we have our producer, our Jamie, in the studio. Howdy. Chaotic and disorderly, bureaucratic entropy, physics of bureaucracy, municipal insanity. Yes, today we are sponsored by the Petro Dollar. Yeah. And? Uh, and tax-free cigarettes. Illegal cigarettes are our constant sponsor. And uh, Kiki's Crow's Nest Recording Studio. Yes. Sorry, Crone's Nest. Crone's Nest. Crone's Nest. Yeah. Because I'm an old hag. <laughs> and Irish. Okay, so uh, there's a couple things we want to talk about. Today. Well, we got three major topics to talk about. Oh, two major ones and one small one. There was uh, yeah. the New York Times reported on the, uh, the laptop of uh, Joe Biden's son this, this, uh, this week, which was... Uh, a story two years in the making or so. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? But also we want to talk about Chinese surveillance, specifically in Canada. And uh, on a wider scale, we're going to talk about, talk about TikTok and Tencent and uh, Huawei and all that fun stuff. And the petrodollar. Yeah, that's the big one. That's the big one. That's the big one. So let's start with that. I feel like that's the, that's the, meaty, that's the meaty topic of the day. Yeah, you know, I'm very, very worried about this, you know. So, you know, our first podcast, I had said, there's no way that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. We were way wrong. We were way wrong, okay. Um, So there's been a lot of stuff happening over the last eight years, in particular with Eastern Europe. Um, but there's been a lot of stuff happening over the last 50, 60 years all across the world. And I'm just going to revisit this in case this is the first podcast that you've heard. Uh, I'm just going to revisit what happened in 1970. So in 1970, uh, Richard Nixon had been in power as U.S. president uh, for a year and he negotiated with Saudi Arabia that the United States would take the U.S. dollar off of the gold standard, which means that the value of the U.S. dollar is backed by whatever gold they have in Fort Knox, right? And they would switch that to the petrodollar, which means that Saudi Arabia, who sells the most oil in the world, right, they would only trade their oil to other countries in U.S. dollars. Now, this propped up the U.S. dollar so that it didn't matter how much gold they have. They can just keep printing money by quantitative easing. However, that didn't happen for several years later. Yeah, but every single country would have to first buy U.S. dollars in order to buy Oil from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So basically, 85% of transactions on Earth since 1970 have happened in U.S. dollars. And that is what gives the U.S. dollar strength. Okay? It, it has nothing to do with how much gold they have. It's, it's not... 
because these aren't notes that are representing some wealth that is sitting somewhere, you know, guarded by Marines. Now it's just about, it's about how much the dollar is being used, which is what props up the dollar. That's why the dollar is always worth a lot. Now, because of tensions in Eastern Europe, and the China, global energy markets in general, and the global energy markets in general, China and India and Russia are talking to Saudi Arabia and saying, yeah, you know what? Can we not trade in US dollars anymore? Now, if this happens, that's half of the world's population, more than half the world's population, countries that are representing them, not using the US dollar. This will crash the economic model for the United States. Now, as a Canadian, 80% of our trade happens with the United States. So if the US dollar crashes, it's going to crash our economy too. And it's going to crash a lot of economies in the West. It's going to have rippling effects throughout the system. Yeah. And uh, this is another, another thing I saw in the news this week uh, with Saudi Arabia. Uh, they executed 81 people in, in, a, in a single day, I think it was, for terrorism and other treason charges. Yeah. Which was more than they killed in the entire previous calendar year mm-hmm. in one day. Public yeah. executions. I'm not sure how they do it there. If it's a uh, firing squad or beheading or hanging. I'm not sure how they do it over there. Um, it's, it's different methods. So um, sometimes they just throw you off a tall building. Mm. Um, sometimes they behead you. Sometimes they shoot you. Um, but because the U.S. has a relationship with Saudi Arabia that every U.S. president in my lifetime has had and before my lifetime, mm-hmm. right, um, that is allowed to happen. No one questions that. The, U- right. the United States is in a position where they're in military conflicts that we know of uh, directly or indirectly in Yemen, mm-hmm. Somalia, Libya, Syria, Ukraine, Iraq, they just left Afghanistan after 20 years. Right. And the Afghanistan papers revealed that there was no rhyme or reason for them to be there at all. It was just about selling weapons. So actually, uh, when Biden was running, he, one of his campaign topics was, we're going we're gonna to make Saudi Arabia a pariah state. We're no longer, they're, 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 we're going to... We're gonna make uh, make them very unpopular. We're gonna we're gonna stand up for, stand up for our values, and yada yada yada. Of course, that went completely off the books as soon as he actually got elected. And earlier this week, when he requested, you know, maybe a face to face for a phone call with the Saudi prince, yeah. you know, talk about the fact that you know we're going to buy, buy a little more oil from you to stabilize this energy market with seven dollar gas in the states. Uh, he just got no-sirred, both by the Saudi, uh, the, the prince of Saudi Arabia, and by the leaders of the UAE. So <laughs> he, he did. He did not get that phone call, and and then there was a story reported that Saudi Arabia is considering moving to the yuan, yeah, instead of the dollar for the uh, the currency that they can buy their oil in. Well, it gets, it, it gets much worse than that. It, it gets much worse than that. I'm going to touch on this, but first I want to explain. 
this is this is something that I predicted back when I was in university. I wrote a paper on it um, about the chances of the United States becoming a failed state, which is which is catastrophic for for the Western world, and and it's basically. So I was born on March 29th, 1980, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was born, Jimmy Carter was president. So every single president that has been in office since I was born, other than Jimmy Carter, has been a full-blown war crime, okay? And I'm not going to go through every one. You can do your research. It's it's a fact, right? It's, By, it's a part yeah, of the job. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just... It's, it's you get to add it. that to your resume when you become the U.S. president. It's like, ooh, war criminal. Put that on a business card. Well, it no, looks nice. Well, no, and, and Eisenhower warned about this when he left office, right? That is and, the most important speech of the 20th century, yeah. probably. And, you know, that's why Kennedy said, well, if I'm not going to send 50,000 troops... Uh, to Vietnam, which is half across the world, then why am I going to send 50,000 troops to Cuba, which is just off the coast of Florida? We'll talk about this later. I'll see you in Dallas, right? And the rest was history, right? And then two days later, the Vietnam War was ramped up, and it went up until five years before I was born. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not nearly as long as the Afghanistan War. So now you have, now you have a situation where the U.S. is so, and, and a lot of scholars have talked about this, right? The U.S. is spread so thin, even though their military is 10 times the amount of the next guy, right? Yeah. The population, 80% of them are, you know, they cannot handle a, a $500 or $1,000 emergency, right? Mm-hmm. There's homeless people under every single bridge in every single state, right? Millions of people lost their homes right. back during the 2008-2009 crisis. Well, this is why they're building back better, so they can repair those bridges so people have somewhere to live under. Yeah. Yeah, that's a factor. But they're not even doing that, right? So so now now it's it's come to the point where, like, because I remember when I wrote that paper back in university, back in 2010, I wrote it. And uh, the UN was saying that it was on the verge of becoming a failed state. But of course, that's not going to gain any traction in the media because the media is paid for the people that they're supposed to be investigating. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, because two consecutive presidents have had dementia, okay? They're all war criminals. But the last two, Trump and Biden, okay? I'm not a doctor. I'm a welder by trade. I work in municipal <laughs> politics, but I deal with a lot of crazy people and I understand dimension. I can tell you right now, okay, that since January 20th, 2017, the President of the United States has had dementia. Okay, there's been two since then. The first one has dementia from untreated syphilis during the 1980s. Again, I'm not a doctor, that's just my opinion. Okay, the second one just has dementia because he's old. Okay. 25 years ago, when Joe Biden was senator for Delaware, he said, if we keep expanding NATO, we are going to end up in a World War III situation. That was him 25 years ago. Does anyone here really think that Joe Biden is in charge of foreign policy? Kiki, you want to weigh in on this? I'm confident that Joe Biden has 
never made an important decision. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the U.S. foreign policy has that does not matter if there's a Democrat or Republican in office. The foreign policy stays the same regardless, yeah. Yeah. because the biggest part of the budget is the military-industrial complex, and those are the people in charge of foreign policy. Yeah. So now we have a situation where China has said, "Okay, this is our time. We're taking over." Chaotic and disorderly, bureaucratic entropy. Okay, so Wall Street Journal reports Saudi Arabia considers accepting yuan, which is the Chinese currency, instead of U.S. dollars for Chinese oil sales. Like, Nixon is rolling in his grave right now because this is very problematic. So, Pepe Escobar says that China will buy Saudi oil in yuan and this will accelerate the death of the petrodollar. International correspondent Pepe Escobar reports that China will start buying oil from Saudi Arabia in yuan and not U.S. dollars, which should hasten the death of the petrodollar, the standard used in, global, in the global energy market. The final cutoff, he said, arrived much earlier than we all thought he noted. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop there. When you have a situation where someone is acting completely insane, right, whether it's work, high school, doesn't matter. And someone starts making crazy decisions. All the friends are going to say, hey, uh, maybe this individual isn't so stable. Maybe we should start our own clique. Maybe we should cut some ties, yeah. I'll go on. So the Kazakh newspaper, Capital, reported that the Eurasian Economic Union, formed by Belarus, Kazakhstan, Russia, and China, will develop a project for an independent international monetary and financial system. On March 11th, the economic dialogue took place, revealing a new phase of monetary, financial, and economic cooperation between Eurasian Economic Union and the People's Republic of China. Global transformations, challenges, and solutions. The strengthening of economic relations comes amid escalating international attack by the United States and European countries against the Union countries and China. The current war in Ukraine has increased the international boycott of Russia. And I'm just going to stop here for a sec. It doesn't help that once all the sanctions with the West went against Russia, Russia went to China. And while they went to China to go talk to them about this and Saudi Arabia to go talk to them about this, the United States had to eat crow and go to Iran and Venezuela and say, hey, you know, the last 20, 40 years, you know how we tried to overthrow your governments? Well, we did in, in the case of Iran. We're going to walk back some sanctions, but can you sell us some oil, please? Because it's $7 a gallon in the United States, and that's not great, and we have the midterms coming up. So that makes the international community go, oh, my God. Oh, my God, this is not good. So, um, likewise, an action is taking place at a time when international financial system is going through one of its worst moments. The announced project will allow greater independence of Russian-Chinese bloc in, and cooperation in the field of development. It is assumed that the new system will be based on a new international currency, which will be calculated as an intercate 
as an indicator of the national currencies of the participating countries and the commodity prices. The first draft will come up for discussion by the end of March, which is coming up, according to Capital. So, so now, so now we have, so now we have a situation where Xi, who is the president of China, along with Putin and Saudi Arabia and India, yeah. who are all mad at the United States because of their bungling of the war in Europe, which could easily turn into World War Three. Like every time we do this podcast, let's be clear, this could be the last one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's... Okay. According to U.S. lawmakers, because if they if they do a no-fly zone, we're all gonna die. Okay. Which was, so, for some reason is support no-fly zone for some reason is widely supported in the states. <laughs> so so basically, what 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 Xi and Putin and Saudi Arabia and India are doing, along with uh, Kazakhstan and and some other former Soviet states, is they're going to do their own petrodollar, and they're going to attempt to become the next United States. The now, next, if that the, happens... The, the next hegemon power. The next correct. hegemon bloc. Now, if that happens, because Canada is so close in trade, like 80% of trade with b- between the United States and Canada, that, that's it. Right? Yeah, that, that, you know what I mean? That's our whole that's our whole basket. Yeah, that's that's why we were so mad at Mulroney when he got us in the NAFTA, right? Yeah. We're like, eh, down the road, this might not be great. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. Because if the United States economy falls, like if the dollar collapses, Canada, we got our we got our wagon hitched that star. Yeah. It's it's not like during 2008 and, and 2009. Because we were in a minority government situation, in, in, in the 2004 Canadian election, Paul Martin became Prime Minister. He became Prime Minister with a minority parliament. So the NDP had the balance of power. Right? Now, meanwhile, in the States, what Clinton and Bush had done was they tore down the wall. I'm sure you've heard, everyone's heard of the Glass-Steagall Act. They, oh, yeah. t- they, tur- they tore down the wall between commercial and investment banks. So, like, South Park did a great episode about that. It's like, and you invested $100, and, and it's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. Okay. We didn't do that in Canada. If Paul Martin had uh, received a majority government in 2004, I'm sure we would have done that. I can't say for certain, but I'm personally sure. All right? But because we had Jack Layton stopping him from doing that, we're like, no, you want to pass budget? Can we help some people with housing, you know, healthcare, stuff like that, right? Instead of doing banking things. This is different. This is far worse. Like, we're talking about the collapse of the Western economy. And we better be able to, you know, Kurt Mesker said it perfectly uh, last week. He said, we better be able to pronounce uh, Yuan, right? <laughs> yeah. Chinese Yuan, because it looks like that's going to be, you know, within the next few years, if this keeps up, uh, the primary currency in the world. Right. And as Saudi's, Saudi Arabia's leadership, is declining meetings and, and phone calls with the U.S. administration. They are taking these meetings with the government of China. And the same with the United Arab Emirates and you know Iran and all, and all these Middle Eastern oil-producing countries. They are declining meetings with the current hegemon, the U.S., and they're taking meetings with the new up-and-comer, China. So we, we are developing sort of like 
this new block on the other side. Yeah. Which so, there has already sort of has been a de facto block for a while, but now it's becoming more official. Now it's becoming an organized structure where they are talking about having an alternative currency for purchasing oil by their block from the oil producing nations of the Middle East. Yeah. And Russia is already the world's third biggest oil producer. Mm. So they're already a big player in that pool. Russia is an OPEC, right? Yeah, they're an OPEC. Yeah. Right there. Right there. And uh, Putin is very close personally with uh, you know, the, uh, the Saudi prince. The, yeah. The, who is the de facto leader? Who is the de facto leader, right. Yeah. This is really scary because, you know, as, as a Canadian, our entire economy is tied to the United States. Because of Mulroney and Gretchen and and Clinton and right and and the, so this hot conflict uh, in the Ukraine that Russia started has also turned into a large scale economic conflict, which doesn't just tie in Russia. It has now tied in China. Has now tied in the oil producing nations of the Middle East. All of that. So the the small hot war has also already started a global economic war. Yeah. Well, no, and, 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 and this, is, this is why I can't stress this enough, right? So if you look at all the, like I was born on March 29th, 1980. You look at all the presidents of the United States in my lifetime. The last two have had dementia for different reasons, right? You know, Trump had dementia from, I believe, I'm not a doctor. Yeah, we, 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 I'm we, we covered syphilis. I'm syphilis from the 1980s. Biden has dementia because he just clearly has dementia. But now, like, because Obama would have never done this. Bush would have never done this. Clinton would have never done this. Bush uh, 41 would have never done this. Reagan would have never, like, they had people around them. But now it's got so bad. And again, it's, it's like a high school or work situation where the world is like, these guys are nuts. And in order, to save our asses, we need to start our own thing because we can't count on them anymore. This is a very, very, very scary situation. Like people, people are going to lose their jobs. People are going to lose their homes. If the U.S. dollar collapses, if it turns into the Mexican peso, <laughs> like I, I could potentially lose my house. Who knows? Yeah, there's uh, there's no telling as to how far the bubble will burst. Exactly, just the floor on this, we can't see from how high up we are. Well, no, but that's that's but that's the other thing. You know, uh, Kurt Metzger brought up an interesting point last week, which is how did nobody see this coming? So either nobody saw this coming, or they did this see this coming, and if they did see this coming. They're trying to figure out how to make money off of it. And the people that didn't see this coming, they don't care because they figure they're going to get bailed out. Yeah. Anyway, like, but the problem is, <laughs> if, if, if there's no petrodollar, there's no quantitative easing. So there is no bailing out. There's no possibility of bailout because you, you can't, you can't, there's no, you can't print money. You anymore. can't print enough barrels of cash when, when, the, when it's worthless. Yeah. There's, yeah. And we're already at, the highest levels of inflation that we've seen in a very long time. Yeah. So well, it's it's not as bad as when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was like twenty four percent, right? It was brutal. Like like 
when my father was working in the North End at the brewery, because mm. right? we're Irish, right? Um, <laughs> and my father worked there. He got him a job. Um, during the 70s, the inflation was so crazy. Like, they call it stagflation because there was a stagnant economy, but massive inflation at the same time. And so every payday, your check would go up significantly, uh, like sometimes by 50, 60%, right? Really? Because, well, yeah, you know, because the dollar was just going down. Like when my dad started in 1969 at the brewery, uh, a 24 case of beer would have cost $3, right? Mm -hmm. By the time that the brewery closed down in 1997, a 24 uh, would have cost around $40, yeah. right? Okay. Um, but during the 70s, it was really weird. Uh, it got to the point where I remember my father saying, uh, when he started dating my mom, he was living in Elmwood, which was just across the river from the brewery. And my mom was cleaning his room right, when they were dating, and she looked under his bed, and there was a check, like a paycheck, mm. from like two months ago, that he didn't even cash, because <laughs> that's how much money, like, it was like, it was like, you know, every other, like, every week, they were just giving you a raise, right, because they yeah. didn't know what to do, Well, right? also back then, in Canada, the interest rates were very, very high, whereas now, uh, and this has been an ongoing thing, the interest rates in Western countries are, are near zero or negative, and we have no way to to raise them without crashing the current system. So we don't have the time and you know the economic space to slowly raise these rates because no. if we raise them all at once, yeah, complete like complete collapse. Uh, a it's whole like house of cards. Fifteen years, right? Fifteen years. It's been at zero or 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 point one. Right. So we, we don't have any way of easing our way back into a reasonable interest rate to hedge against these problems. And unless we're just going deep into the negatives. But either way, you're laughing because you're fucked. No, you know, I, I, I really hope that someone in Ottawa is paying attention to this because I don't have any faith in the prime minister. I don't have any faith in the leader of the opposition. I don't have... I, I, you know what? Honestly, it, I don't have any faith in any party right now. Like, no one is looking at the big picture here. And I'm, I'm genuinely afraid. Like, you know, like, you're from Russia, right? Yeah. You know? You were born in the Soviet Union. You understand what I'm talking about. I remember you know I mean? in 1997 when yeah. the Russian ruble went from being worth, you know, uh, six rubles to a U.S. dollar... It went almost overnight to, or within a couple of weeks, 20, 25 rubles to a U.S. dollar. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people were, there was the lineup at every bank. People were withdrawing all their money and converting them to U.S. dollars. There wasn't enough U.S. dollars to convert them into. Yeah. People were on the streets selling everything they owned. Like the price of a carton of eggs skyrocketed. All the very basics became very expensive. This happening in Canada would mm. would be would be catastrophic, but in the states it'll cause civil war because there's more guns than people. Yeah, and and then it's just like who has the most food and the most guns? Yeah, and then you have a civil war, which means a failed state. Right. I mean the the potential upshot is if there's a revolution uh, that erases all the states' debt. 
<laughs> so, so the U.S. wouldn't have to default on its debt if it's if it's now a different country. If the U.S. is no longer the U.S., all their debts go poof, which causes a precipitous collapse of the world economy. But good for them. <laughs> well, yeah, you could you could you could name it to McGunville. Yeah. <laughs> right. Very very scary stuff. Physics of bureaucracy. Municipal insanity. My point is is that everyone's so interested in making money selling weapons and killing people. Um, because it's been a profitable business for that, so long. That that they're in this bubble where they don't even realize you're going to destroy the earth. I mean, don't even get me started with climate change. Everyone stopped paying attention to climate change as soon as COVID happened, right? Right. You know, and and now this, right? And um, I am genuinely, genuinely afraid of uh, what's going to happen this year. Well, well with, uh, with climate change, there's a, currently a giant issue in the California insurance market because they have no idea how to insure homes in a state where 50,000 50, buildings a year are impacted by, you know, fire damage. They either burn down or are uninhabitable because of forest fires. So when this many buildings a year, this, this many standing structures a year are, there's an insurance policy on them that has to be paid out. There's no longer any money in the kitty for these insurance companies to cover the insurance on the policies that they've they've been selling. Well, if I was if I was a psychopath like uh, like the United States government, I would I would tackle this head on, and what I would do is I would appoint the vice president uh, to do a special envoy to California uh, to talk to Democratic lawmakers about incarcerating more minorities so that they can use them as firefighters that they pay five dollars a day. Well, a lot of the firefighters. If you don't have, if you don't have people incarcerated in California, how are you going to fight the fires? A lot of the people that were fighting those fires were, in fact, prisoners. Those, most of them. Yeah, most of them were. Most of the people fighting California forest fires were from the prison system. It's a great system they got going down there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you don't got to pay them much, and uh, we no, we just we we got to lock up more minorities, right? That's that's a solution, right? Obviously, I'm you know I'm. I'm being an asshole here, but I mean that's basically the name of the game. Right? Yeah. So again, we want we want to thank our we want to thank our sponsors, uh, the illegal cigarettes. Yes. The petro dollar. No, no, tax free cigarettes. Tax free cigarettes. Yeah. Sorry, yes. Uh, the the petro dollar. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose at this point, the prison industrial complex, military yeah. industrial complex. Yeah. And let's not forget our newest sponsor that is actually officially sponsoring us is uh, Kiki's Crone's Nest Recording Studio. Kiki's Crone's Nest. Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm actually she, not live from Wellington Crescent. <laughs> she, she's our the Jamie. section. Yeah. Kiki, do you want to chime in on this? Don't you find this disturbing? Yes. Don't oh. you find this disturbing? Oh, yes. It's all very disturbing. It is. But what's happening locally? What what, what can we do about it? Oh, uh, save your money. <laughs> uh, bury something in the backyard that might be valuable. Five ten years from now. I just made a fire mixtape. Um, is it not valuable? Okay. No. no uh, inflation's really gonna kill it, isn't it? Canned food, alcohol, cigarettes, all those things that are precious 
in uh, in a depression, an economic collapse, things that people are going to want. Bury those things in your backyard. Hold your loved ones close. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. People will be selling things of sentimental value at a very low rate for things like canned food and cigarettes. I've already hawked all my heirloom gold. Yeah, well, uh, grave robbing. Perhaps there there is a loved one that you know that has been buried with valuables. Remember where they're buried. Where's Frank Sinatra? Oh wait, no, he's buried with U.S. dollars. Never mind. Okay. All right. So we're we're gonna we're gonna take a beat, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Chaotic and disorderly, bureaucratic entropy. Okay, and we're back for part two of the Glassness podcast, brought to you by the Petro Dollar, tax-free cigarettes, and uh, Kiki's Chrome's Nest Recording Studio. Whoop whoop. What up? All right, and I really want to talk about this story, which uh, was brought to me by my friend Seppel, who you may have uh, caught his cameo in our last podcast, if you remember uh, this clip. In a city where the only reason construction stops is winter, one man addicted to exposing bureaucratic waste makes his stand. This is his story. And he brought me a story from Vancouver, which was reported by uh, the National Post and a couple of other publications, where uh, some Chinese restaurants in Vancouver had cameras which uh, were pointed at most of the tables. There was something like two cameras per table which was evidently sending information back to China as a part of their surveillance program, surveilling immigrants from their country that are in Canada. And this ties into a larger story. We can talk about Huawei and how they have one of their top uh, executives. That's been Yeah, Yeah. uh, she's been detained indefinitely in Vancouver for charges of fraud in the States. Mm-hmm. Although she's been in Vancouver for a couple of years now and she's living in a seven-room mansion, massages and tennis lessons and shopping trips just with a GPS tracker. Uh, we, we're going to talk about TikTok and how that's entirely Chinese government-owned yeah. and is essentially a surveillance program. Uh, Huawei phones have been banned in the States because... It's not. It's not even just the issue that you know they have software, that's a part of the uh, you know surveillance. They have hardware in those phones, which is direct surveillance hardware. Well, but so is Apple. Right. But that's, I mean, Ed- Edward Snowden kind of tore the lid off the can of almonds on that. You know right. I mean? yeah. But but. <laughs> But th- th- that's a part of the software. There's literal hardware chips specifically yeah. dedicated to surveillance in Huawei phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about uh, Tencent, which is uh, a Chinese conglomerate that actually owns uh, a large stake in Reddit, mm-hmm. which is having its IPO this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, if you're if you're a person that watches the uh, watches the markets, that IPO is going to be a hot day. Yeah. Wake up early in the morning that day, mm-hmm. put your shoes on, yeah. 
call your broker right as the market opens. Yeah. Buy stock of Reddit because that's going up that day. 100%. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, me being the one in the room who is the old, that um, one of you will call me up and warn me about that. <laughs> yeah, well... Seeing uh, as I am the grandpa here. <laughs> we'll let you know. But, uh, the, the again, going back to that first story about the, the, the surveillance in Canadian restaurants, like, on our, on our soil where surveillance data is being sent back directly to the Chinese government. They have a social credit system. Yeah. So these are people that have left China perhaps on a permanent basis, but Mm -hmm. if not... But they're still Chinese citizens. But they're still Chinese citizens. So if they ever, for some reason, have to go back, those any any potential mind crime will be held against them. Yeah. There is uh, a certain legitimate worry amongst uh, Canadian officials. So this is from Global News. Canadian officials allege that the Overseas Chinese Affairs Office was influencing or manipulating, quote-unquote, community members and using, quote-unquote, coercive tactics against dissidents and minorities. And again, I'm quoting, this involves intimidations of overseas Chinese at every level of society. The managing of their behavior is accomplished through incentive or disincentive, as well as intelligence gathering, surveillance, and subversions against these communities. It was a remarkably candid overview of these Chinese intelligence activities. And this was a report disclosed during a recent court case involving a former overseas Chinese Affairs Office employee who attempted to immigrate to Canada. Mm. China has been widely accused of targeting its diaspora, particularly pro-Taiwan and democracy activists, as well as Uyghurs and Falun Gong practitioners. It's uh, it's very rare that our government takes uh, such activities and makes them public. But China is just claiming that uh, the OCAO responsible for Chinese citizens living abroad, but the Canadian report uh, makes its case that it engages in espionage and is very well known to operate within Canada. It's involved in covert action, coercion, and organizes and monitors overseas Chinese business, student, cultural, media, and political networks. So this is happening within Canada, and it is just a part of the global Chinese surveillance state. And, you know, their social credit scores and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So here's here's the thing, and and maybe this isn't a popular opinion um, in the room. I, I know it's not a popular opinion in in um, you know mainstream polite society circles. But how is what China's doing any different than what any other country is doing? Well, just because it's so much more official and on paper. It is a quantified social credit score. Yeah. It's... Uh, Isn't that more transparent? <laughs> yeah. You, as you said official, I thought you were going to say efficient, which I think is also a, 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 an appropriate... Yeah. It, it, it's official and it's efficient. It's very, it's very overt and it's very in your face and they're just no longer... They're not 
they're not trying to hide it. And I, in some sense, it's a, it's a cockroach you see instead of a cockroach that's hiding under the carpet. Yeah. Which is the case of the, you know, NSA surveillance state. But... Everybody loves their own brand of fascism. Yeah, no, I, I don't think anyone can say that they love any brand of fascism. Well, it, it, it depends on what kind of a shitlib or neocon you are. I, I mean, like, here's the thing. I, a good friend of mine, um, his, um, uh, his aunt was tortured through um, MKUltra, mm-hmm. right? A, a very close member, family member of mine was tortured with MKUltra, okay? Um, so... You know, I have friends and family that are victim of that, right? So, are the is the Chinese government guilty of nefarious actions? Absolutely. Is the Canadian government? Absolutely. Is the U.S. government? Absolutely. Is the Russian government? Absolutely. Ukrainian government? Absolutely. Polish government? U.K. France. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is this is news, right? Because it it plays into the whole, you know, xenophobic jingoism you know we're anti-chinese we're anti-russian right you know because you've got to be a good boy right mm-hmm. you know but um my my own country is responsible for the deaths of millions of people mm-hmm. okay continuing to this day and um you know just because just because i like i've never been on side with one government one federal government in my lifetime that doesn't make me anti-Canadian. I love my country. I love yeah. my people. I also love people of other countries. You know what it's I mean? Not when my daughter came home. My daughter came home from school the other day. This was so sad. And and she said, "Well, I and she didn't learn from the teachers. Just talking with students, right? She was like, "Well, the Russians are bad, and they have to kill all the Russians." And I shut that down. <laughs> I said, "No, listen, I am not going to have xenophobia in my house." Okay. You could be against governments. And I explained to her, like, you know, I work for the civic government. I'm against my government. I've never supported my government. I work for the people. I work for the 55,000 people that count on me, whether they hate me or not. You know what I mean? But you're not against people, okay? And then I started talking about my Russian friends, right? And my Ukrainian friends. I don't want anyone to die. Because every time there's a war, it's always about money. Every single time. Name one war in my lifetime. That wasn't about money. Mm-hmm. Name one. You can't. You know that. Yeah, that that's completely impossible. Like I can't. I can't think of a civil war or a revolution anywhere in the world in the past fifty years that hasn't been about a very small sect of people making money by having a very large sect of people killing each other over ethnicity or religion or you know like like I always talk I always talk about I'll tell you a story so um, in my duties at City Hall one time I had to uh, go instead of our counselor to uh, see the Polish uh, dancers and mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I can't remember their name very talented right and I'm not going to say the church, but I was sitting beside the... Oh, head. church. I thought you meant like uh, the, the solid gold or uh, teasers. <laughs> no, 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 no. So so this was at the Fort Gary Hotel, but I was sitting beside a priest. I'm not going to say which church. 
right? He was a young guy. He was around my age, maybe a little bit older, right? Really nice guy. And, and he was like, well, why don't you come to church? And he's like, why don't you come to church? And I said, well, you have to understand, my family left Ireland, right? My, my Irish side of the family and my Finnish side of the family, you know, my Finnish side of the family left because of, you know, the Cold War, right? You know, um, well, not because of the Cold War, but because of World War One starting. My Irish family, their side left Canada because um, they saw the War of 1916 coming. Now, a lot of people don't understand what the War of 1916 is. So the War of 1916 happened between 1916 and 1920. And that was the Irish War of Independence, right? The, tr- the time of troubles. Yeah. Oh. Irish is still a, Irish is still a neutral state. Mm-hmm. They did not participate in World War II, and they're not part of NATO, right? They stay out of this, right? Now, Irish, now Ireland is a predominantly Catholic country. My family comes from uh, from the province of Northern Ireland, which is part of, part of the United Kingdom, yeah. right? So my bloodline is Black Irish Protestant. Mm-hmm. We do not go to church. We don't practice. The reason why is because people, and I explain this to my daughter, right? She's six. I explain it to her. I don't care. She needs to know early. The reason why the Protestants and the Catholics were killing each other for all these years is because they have a different opinion of what happened after Mary died. So Catholic people believe that Mary corporally ascended into heaven. And Protestants believe that she died like a normal person and her soul went to heaven. And because they disagreed on this, when guns and bombs were invented, they decided to start killing each other for hundreds of years. And we were like, yeah, no. Catholics and Protestants didn't need the guns and bombs to kill each other. No, no, I, I get that. Yeah, I know, but, but it, got, it got worse. It got so, so by 1911, we're like, eh, we're going to Canada, right? All right. You know, which, you know, Canada is, is part of the British Empire, so it made sense, right? So, you know, start a new family, you know, and then eventually in the 70s, my mom and my dad hooked up, so I'm half Finnish, I'm half Irish, right? But uh, we ne- we're we not religious people, right? uh, What I right? always believed is that why the the black Irish uh, are not necessarily, usually aren't practicing is because practice makes perfect and the Irish are, understand that they're imperfect and that they'll never will be perfect. So Yes. Yeah. 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 So. No, we're, yeah. A lot of cultures aren't like that. They're like, no, we're perfect and that's it. Whereas the Irish, we're very, we're humorous and self-deprecating. You know what I mean? You know, I, I, I jokingly say the only people that I'm racist against are Irish, right? It's a joke. My dad hates it when I say that, but it's true. You know what I mean? But it's, 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 it's fine. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like that's and that's 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 why um, every you know like like every country has their issues you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, we can't we can't pretend that I'm better than you or you're better than me that's classism classism is the only thing that I find more offenses more offensive than racism Right. right, because you can always hire one half of the poor to fight the other half of the poor, which has been an ongoing trend in uh, in, in world economics and world politics for the longest time. There's always the the oppressed and and the oppressor. That's the very basis of 
uh, what Marx uh, wrote in Das Kapital. Yes. And getting back to what we were talking about with Chinese surveillance, because it's, it's a global surveillance state by an overtly authoritarian government that has had open air, and open air concentration camps in their northern province uh, where the Uyghurs are forcibly married to Han Chinese officers who, you know, enter their home and they teach them the official language. You, you can't own a Quran. There is a police convenience stop on every block. There's cameras everywhere. You can't phone into that province. You can't make a phone call to them. Everything's surveilled. You have to install surveillance app on your phone when you enter it. Everything is under a microscope. And this is the same government that funded uh, TikTok, which is an official product of the Chinese state. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's an app where you can't ever m- mention the words Tiananmen Square. No. That'll, that'll get completely censored at the, at the speed of light. Huawei phones are banned in the States. Uh, U.S. carriers can't use their hardware because of direct surveillance that that hardware will do on these networks. Uh, Again, companies like Tencent, which own large stakes in, uh, you know, U.S. corporations, U.S. social media, uh, specifically Reddit. uh, These are all elements of that same government that currently has an open air concentration camp. Yeah which uh, has some 10, uh, 10 million Muslim uh, indigenous peoples from that region mm-hmm. under constant surveillance and is actively re-educating them. This is a story that first broke in 2018 uh, by a Russian independent outlet called Medusa, which uh, reported on, its, on it happening as early as 2016, mm-hmm. because that's when the person that wrote the story that they had been making, uh, they had a business of running kayaking trips uh, through the region. And all of a sudden it became very hard for them to do it. And they figured out that this is why, because they traveled to the province and explored it in, in a larger sense rather than just, you know, their nature trail. And they figured out that, oh, I have to do all this just to enter this region that previously I had been you know, just free to enter. And this was because of their their new Silk Road project, which is a transportation corridor mm-hmm. that they've been building up. That story broke in 2018 and had since gained international attention. Uh, it was condemned uh, in, the, in the UN and in 2019, 2020, uh, Western media outlets started reporting on it. Yeah. But it sort of just got pushed aside by larger global stories, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, yada, 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 and now, and now the, uh, well, the was, Ukrainian there conflict. Was, there, was, there was the riots, there was the election, there was coronavirus. There was all, yeah, there was all of that other stuff. And now, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, now China is courting Saudi Arabia to have a new block which uses a different currency instead of the petrodollar mm. to buy Middle Eastern oil. Mm. So we, we have 
a new growing economic hegemon of the world, and this is the same country that also has official concentration camps. Yeah. So, but 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 also we can talk about the official U.S. concentration camps, which is the prison system. Well, I I want to I want to get to, and and I know I will you know I could be accused on this podcast of what aboutery, which is a great place to buy. I thought uh, it was what about ism. No, no, what aboutery is 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 the new store. (laughs) The what aboutery you could get anything there, (laughs) but but I think I think. Kiki really, really came on to a point that I want to bring back home here, which is, okay, China is doing this. And yeah, it's horrible, right? But they're just being, they're not being subtle about it. It's just out in the open. Now, if you look at what's happened just in the last six years, Mm -hmm. just in the last six years, right? So six years ago, it was March of 2016, right? And... That's when all the Russia gates started happening, right? Mm-hmm. I had I had very, very educated, intelligent people accusing me of being a Putin puppet because I thought Russia gate was bullshit and it was eventually proven bullshit, right? But even to this day, right? The United States, if if you're if you're against war, right? If 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 you if if you uh, say that you want health care, right? Or if you're in Canada, right? And and you say, uh, we, you know, people should have clean drinking water, you know? Yeah. You know, you know, you're some nefarious bad actor, right? You're against Trudeau, you're against Biden, you're bad, right? You know, you're a Putin puppet or you're, you're right wing. If, if you ever come to the left of the neoliberals, yeah. right? You're right wing, you're racist, uh, you're you're fascist. Uh, you're you're uh, uh, you're anti-trans. Uh, you're uh, you're anti-woman. Like anything. Like I had this happen to me six years ago. Right? Yeah, people. My own party did that to me. People. They said that they said that I was that I was a, a racist and a sexist and a fascist and and everything. Right, because I was running to the left of someone. Right? It's important to understand that people have invented this word. What aboutism? When the very essence of pointing out hypocrisy is fairly important. It's it's important to understand that if you bring up a valid precedent of you know the state that is condemning a certain action by another state as being. Uh, monstrous but if the state that's condemning another from a supposed moral high ground if if that state is guilty of the exact same thing and their defense is oh this is what aboutism <laughs> it's not what aboutism it's it's simply citing precedent it's simply saying we've started the conversation. Yeah, let's let's just go around the room and see yeah. what, what what's going on. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, there's 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 a there's a term in in, in Western uh, society which is called throwing rocks in glass houses. Right. Right. So so. But that and, term and this has is changed. what I was saying when Russiagate happened. It was like they interfered in our election. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> you need to shut up right now. Okay. So. 
Uh, yeah, so, uh, and, and then some people, uh, you know, when, when they talked about the interfering uh, in the election, which, again, eventually was proven to be, uh, you know, nothing came of that story. Whereas it was very rightfully pointed out that back in 1992, when there was the very first election in Russia after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the U.S. proudly flaunted how we got our guys in there and made sure Boris Yeltsin got elected. Yeah. And it wasn't some sort of hidden plot. It was on the front cover of Time magazine. It's like, the Yanks did it. We got this drunk, incompetent asshole elected yeah. who was, he was worse than Trump in terms of uh, just how blatantly... Well, at least Trump was trying to pretend that, like, because when Trump got in, they were like, oh, the Russians put you in, which was all, it was all proven bullshit, right? Um, the only reason why Trump won was because Hillary Clinton was fucking awful. And she ran a terrible campaign, right? Trump ran to the left of Hillary Clinton on most issues. He won. It was all a lie, right? But then he was like, why did he attack Syria, right? Because... He wanted to prove that he wasn't Putin's puppet, right? So he kept doing all these things to prove that he wasn't Putin's puppet. But he was listening. Like, he didn't drain the swamp. He just took the swamp around him. And he was listening to all these idiots, right? Whereas Biden, right, which, who came from the real maniacs, like Obama and Bush and Clinton, right? You know, now you have, he's, he's, he's incompetent, right? But he's left them completely in charge. Right? Yeah. And, and so now U.S. foreign policy is run, it, it, it's basically, uh, it's Dr. Strangelove. Right. Right. But again, but nobody cares. Like, like I, I know friends. They're like, we don't care if there's a nuclear war. They don't care. Chaotic and disorderly, bureaucratic entropy. So to uh, reiterate our points, hopefully we'll be back next week. Yeah. But... Yeah. While you have the time, hug your, hug your children. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, make sure that you, uh, you, you bury some valuables somewhere. No. <laughs> and be prepared for a very eventful news cycle. And I, I want to be very clear. I just want this war to be over. I am an anti-war activist. Okay? I just... I want, I, I want people to stop dying. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's all I want. That's all I want. And there was a, a story just recently, uh, from the past couple days of, or it perhaps, perhaps it was today, that the Russian oligarch elite is trying to depose Putin. They have a new guy picked out. Yeah. And they're trying to assassinate him. Putin just replaced one thousand of his, you know, support staff. Mm -hmm. To try and avoid getting poisoned, he's legitimately concerned about that. Well, no, I, 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 I called this. I called this a few weeks ago. I, I said, uh, like I was saying to my wife, I said, it's likely that someone is going to get rid of him. Maybe right. Medvedev will take over. Who knows? No, Medvedev was a puppet. But I talked about it on the very first episode no. where I said he doesn't have the capital to really do this because Russians have a very decent track record. Of kind of like if someone's if their leader steps out of line, they they very well might take that leader's head. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. happened around this time last century. It's been a hundred years. They're, they're kind of getting antsy. Mm -hmm. 
and and, uh, and, and what and what did they do with this house? They housed the homeless. Yeah, worked out. Yeah, and and, and <laughs> Russia's had a disintegrating, uh, you know, public health system. School the the school system has been torn apart in in the past thirty years. It it the Soviet school system was sort of like the envy of the Western world, and the blueprint was completely copied by very successful countries like Japan mm-hmm. and South Korea. Their education system is completely based on the old Soviet system, yeah. and they have some of the best education in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's been completely dismantled uh, from, from, from what I know about about um, the current Russian school system, it's a lot like the U.S. school system. And my ex-wife, um, who I was married for two years to, uh, she was from South Carolina, and she described the U.S. school system to me, and it's, it's, it's a goddamn mess. Like, I, I can tell you right now, like, you know, I did a parent-teacher meeting um, with... Uh, my kids' grade one teacher, they're learning stuff like like it's called science humaine in in, in français, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's social studies, right? And they're learning stuff that we didn't even learn in high school. I'm really happy about that because they're understanding what Canada is and what the problems are, right? right. Which I love, right? Because nobody ever taught us that. I had to find that all out on my own. Right? Well, I'm in a very unique position to be able to speak on all three systems mm. because I was born in Russia and I, my primary education plus a grade five was in Russia. Very intensive, very high quality education. I learned a lot of math, a lot of history, a lot of very, very dense information very early. Mm-hmm. I was in the States for a year after that. I was basically repeating the same math that I had learned two years before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I spent most of that time acclimatizing to, or some of that time acclimatizing to English yeah. But then by the end of that year, because I started at the very beginning of the school year, three months in... What year was it when you came here? Uh, here I came in 2002, but I'm talking about 2001, because yeah. that's when I was in the States. Yeah. So the first three months of the school year, wow. I was just acclimatizing to English, because I came in knowing 100 words. Uh-huh. By the end of the three months, I was fully fluent. Yeah. And then by the spring... They were putting on The Taming of the Shrew by Shakespeare as a school play. Yeah. And I got like, uh, you know, a, a secondary role. I, yeah. I auditioned and I, and I was good enough to, you know, get a, a decent speaking part uh, in a, you know, a fairly, fairly fun Shakespeare play. Yeah. So that was pretty all right. But their science and math education was a couple of years behind. Like, I had already learned all of that mm-hmm. uh, back in Russia. And, and back... But you just get your A's. Yeah, so I got my A's. But Work back, on social stuff. Back yeah. in 90s Russia, the system hadn't been changed yet very much. It was still the same old teachers from the Soviet schools. They hadn't reformed anything yeah. yet. And then I moved here after that. And in grade uh, seven and eight, uh, grade 7 and 8 is when I was uh, first in Canada, yeah. that math was still me basically learning the same thing I learned in grade five in Russia. Yeah. That had not changed. Wow. So I was still just getting my easy A's because yeah. I wasn't learning anything new. 
And that was like three years of stagnation for me, basically. Until you got to high school and started doing and start Yeah, but I, I, felt, I felt like, hey, and that's when I sort of like, by that time I was already too bored to really get much out of it. I, I finished high school on time, but it would have been better for me if I had continued my education mm. after grade five instead of spending three years spinning my wheels and getting bored. I yeah. mean, luckily I had lots of time to read. That's, that's when I did most of my reading. Do you feel that they didn't advance you because you were new to Canada and your English was still a little iffy, maybe? No, but they just didn't do much of that. And because there was, you know... There and you was, were in Winnipeg School Division, I'm yeah, guessing, right? Yeah, but, and, and there was other subjects. Like, like there was uh, new science material I was learning, but specifically the math... Hmm. That it was just I, I learned nothing new until until I got to grade nine. Yeah, for me it was the opposite. When I moved to Winnipeg, like because I was in the country, when I moved to Winnipeg, my math skills were shit. But plus, it was the first time that I went to an English school because I thought my parents said, "Well, you can take the bus to French immersion, or you can walk to English school." I was like, "Well, I've been speaking English my whole life. How hard could it be?" Well, it's really hard. <laughs> but my math my math teacher uh, Miss Arisko she was uh, she was Russian as well or no no she was Ukrainian never mind um, and, and she kicked my ass and, and my math skills are based on what I learned in grade 6 when I moved to Winnipeg well hey our last sponsor for today is going to be all the great educators yes that I've had in my life shout out teachers I, I want to thank personally right here Mr. Griff from Grand Park High School one of the best teachers I ever had, Mr. Timmerman, who is not only a great educator, but also a fantastic parent, because I've met his son in the past few years. Love Lucas. And great fucking job. Not only at teaching me and my friends a lot of important things about critical thinking and reading and the, the love for language and sarcasm and enjoying life while still being able to learn something in his class. I have actually a Tim, uh, Mr. Timmerman, Timmerman story. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's get that in here. Yeah, and then, and then I want to give a shout to my teachers after that. Yeah. So, uh, this is just like for, you know, uh, I was at the Godspeed You Black Emperor show. Uh, and so a was... A few days ago? A few days ago at, oh. at the Park Theater. And so was Mr. Timmerman. And apparently, uh, Lucas reported that someone came up to him in the middle of a pretty, like, in like in the middle of a number. And, uh, like, the projections, I think it was a prison, abol- uh, like, uh, uh, you know, anti-prison sentiment film that was being projected. I think it was, like, records from, like, uh, Montreal prison, the uh, prisoner records, they were projecting this film. And someone thought that it looked uh, very sort of holocausty or something. It reminded mm-hmm. them of the situation also that's going on in the Ukraine, I guess. And they went up to Mr. Timmerman, assuming that he was Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I mean, he did. I, I guess he like he looked like a cultural transplant. I suppose He's, in that situation. His name is Marius. Yeah. No. Like, no. Like, like he, uh, his first name and middle name are like. Roman. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly like Lucas. Marius Aurelius Timmerman is his name. Oh, that's a really killer. That's a that's, very yeah. that's that's a. But go on. Uh, uh, yeah, so they went up and they were like 
talking to him about the situation in Ukraine as if like I'm so sorry that's happening to you uh, uh-huh. like and it, and what was his he was just like yeah that does suck it's like in the middle of a con like like the, the music is going on and like and also it's not about Ukraine it's about uh, like prisoners what's happening here in it, Canada yeah and and they just assumed that he was Ukrainian I guess Weird. you know what I, should, I had the I chance to go to, to that concert my Seppel, shout out to Seppel again, my Jamie, who's going to help me edit this, he called me that night at around at around 6, and he was like, hey man, you want to go to this concert? And I was just too hungover, and I was it was St. Patrick's Day, I was going to karaoke that night, I'm like, it's just not going to work out time-wise, sorry. I would have loved to see Terramon in person and, and give him a thank you. I barely so, saw him. I just saw him going by. I was hoping to, like, you know, get his number or something. Right. No. So are. a thank you to Timmerman. Shout out. Sorry. And then shout Chris Drift from Grand Park High School and Mr. Roan. Also, Mr. Bartlett, who was my art teacher. Uh, Miss Cleave, who was my drama teacher, who also ran the improv. And there's a couple of others that I'm forgetting, but there were so many great educators and a couple of okay educators and a couple that I wasn't such a huge fan of, but there were enough there that made me want to come to school. I, I took Grift's law class for a second time just because I it was in a, in a slot where I was going to have a spare, and I would rather listen to him rant for an hour than go and get stoned behind the high school. I have a very small list of teachers uh, uh, between uh, elementary well, not in elementary, uh, junior high, high school, and university that I want to give props to. I'll start with grade six, um, uh, Stella Arisco, uh, uh, who was, she kicked my ass when I moved to Winnipeg and started doing school in English and uh, really taught me how to do math, and I want to thank her for that. And then uh, Mr. Blair, who was a teacher's assistant at the time, but now he's a full-fledged teacher at Nelson Mack, where I went going to high school after Nordale in St. B. And uh, Nelson Mack, Rolando Gilowitz, uh, this guy, like, during English class, he would be like, okay, we're not going to talk about English today. And he would just open up the paper. And then he would say to us, listen, okay, you guys are all going to be voting age during the next provincial election. This was in the lead up to the 1999 election. He's like, in the name of Christ, you have to vote NDP. <laughs> and he would explain why, right? And and I knew it was inappropriate for him to tell us this because we were kind of like the sweat hogs. Like, we were like the remedial class, right? Not because I was dumb, just because, you know, I was badass and I just, you know, that was it, right? And uh, Bruno Bavacqua, same thing. And, um, and in uh, university uh, and... Uh, she was. She's not popular with the faculty, but she was certainly popular with, with 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 students. Um, I went to UW and uh, I took intro to politics uh, with Samantha Arnold, and man, I if she is still a prof at UW, I encourage you. If Samantha Arnold is teaching a class, take that class because wow, does she get it? She really gets it. Um, I really enjoyed her. Um, I, the only reason why I dropped out of university is because we got elected, and so I had to go to City Hall and deal with the monsters. 
But yeah, so shout out to teachers, 100%. Yeah. The teachers that aren't just teaching to get you to pass the exam at the end, but the teachers that are teaching you to think. Yeah. And teaching you to fall in love with learning. Mm -hmm. Because once you fall in love with learning, you will learn mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Well, that's a very heartwarming sentiment to close this podcast. What a great way to end the podcast. Uh, I, I would say, remember the teacher inside of you. Everyone has skills to share, right? Mm -hmm. So just think, remember that. Like, think about how you can help enrich the people around you by, you know, sharing yourself, well, teaching and, and not somebody only the, something that you know how to do. But not only that, but listen to them too. You know, yeah. I, I, I shared, uh, somebody did this quote on Facebook that I shared, right? And it's like, if, if, you're, if you're over 40 and you don't have a mentor, not a mentee, a mentor that is under 30, sure. then you're doing it wrong. Sure, sure. And, and, and so I tagged my friend Evan Crosby. Right, yeah. because like, because I'm old. I am the old, right? You know, yeah. he was born in like 1991 or something like that, right? You know, like kids half my age, right? Yeah. Well, actually, no, no, he was born in the late nineties. Anyway, it's it is right. It's, it's, it's really like like I'll, 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 well, no, I'll call him. I'll call him, and I'll be like, is is this okay anymore? Like, what's going on? Because I don't understand the generation generational shifts, right? Bill Burr talked about that. It's right? really important. Yeah. For, uh, to to be uh, connected with people who are, uh, you know, from a, a younger generation. I, I think. Right. It isn't just about yeah, just about teaching them. It's true. It's a, it's a two way street. But yeah. yeah, we're always learning, always teaching. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm turning forty two at the end of the month. If I'm not listening you to don't people, look a day over if, 45. <laughs> thank you. If 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 I'm not listening to people who are you know in in their late teens, and 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 their early twenties, then I'm doing it wrong. Mm. I mean, you know, my daughter's six. I've always spoken to her like she's a contemporary. Like an right? absolutely, and that's, and, and that's how you should. Be. And and her lexicon shows it, you know. Right. Lexicon. right. So, to quote from the great Stoic philosopher Lucius Aeneas Seneca, associate with people who are likely to improve you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's important to have voices around you that will grow you, and it's important to prop those up that you are surrounded with for it to be a two-way street that's that's the most important thing you know like that's what i was explaining to uh people you know with some stuff i'm doing on the side which we're not going to talk about the podcast but i'm unlike other people in my profession i want people who are smarter than me to be around me yeah you don't want to be the I, smartest I, person in a room no or whatever. I am a smart person. I'm a critical bathroom. thinker. But I want to surround myself with people that are smarter than me. Right. You know what I mean? Well, but everyone has their strengths and we can you know, always improve That's, the strengths it's, it's of exactly, others. Exactly. It, it, it it's impossible to quantify someone as the smartest people. We all have valuable skills. Yeah. Uh, there's different types of intelligences, of course. Yeah. 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 Well, th this, that, that is a great way to talk about that. One, one more thank you for our sponsors. Petro Dollar, uh, tax-free cigarettes, tax-free cigarettes, uh, Kiki's Crane's Nest, whoop, whoop, recording beow, studio. Beow. I don't have the air horns. So I'm getting an air horn. <laughs> uh, Lucius Aeneas Seneca, uh, and Mike, probably my favorite philosopher, Diogenes, the guy that lived in a barrel. That, that guy was great. Beauty. Well, this has been the Glassness Podcast, Episode 5. 
I, I'm Dennis Grinko, your uh, shithead at large. Aaron McDowell, your friendly neighborhood angry Irish guy, and... Kiki the Crown. <laughs> Thank you, Kiki. We're out. Catch me on SoundCloud.